This morning we are uh, shifting a little bit. We've been been a lot in in the Gospels recently, so so we're going to go OT. Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Now before before we pray, before we listen to these words, I, I think it's important for us to to talk a little bit about what um, prophets are. Um, or what they were, what function they, they played, what was their role. Um, because I think a, a lot of the popular understanding of what prophets uh, were and are and, and did is just simply sort of not really right. So oftentimes we think of prophets as predictors of the future, um, and they're going to tell us what's going to happen later on. Um, like you'll see, like I'm on Twitter. Um, I don't know why. I don't know how long Twitter's going to last anymore anyway. Um, but anyway, so I'm on Twitter, and oftentimes there'll be people who are predict scores of games, and they're like, I predict the score of the game's going to be this, and then it ends up being that, and like the first comment below it will be like, you're a prophet. And it's like, no, that's not what prophets are. That's not what they were. It's not what they did. Prophets are truth tellers. That's it. They just tell the truth. They see things the way they are, and they speak truth. And oftentimes they're called to speak truth uh, to powerful people. So if there are systems in place that are exploiting people, they will say, hey, this is what's happening. If you keep going down this road, bad things are going to happen. It's not like they're predicting anything that's not seeable. Like you can see these things are going to happen if we keep going down. So that's kind of what prophets were and are. They weren't just, hey, this is going to happen sometime in the future. They're just telling the truth. So when you hear the word prophet, when you think of prophets in the, in the Old Testament especially, uh, just think of them as truth tellers. They're just seeing things for the way they are, and they're speaking the truth. Make sense? Okay. So we're looking at Isaiah 49, 1 through 7 before we read it. You'll find it behind me. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for this word, um, these uh, ancient words. From a long, long time ago, and yet here we are, um, reading them, entering into them. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would speak. Move us, in Jesus' name, amen. So, prophet Isaiah says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he spoke in my name. He made my mouth like a a sharpened sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing. Nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand. And my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and to gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light 
for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Interesting. Okay, what we just read comes from a section of Isaiah known as the Servant Songs. And this is the second of the servant songs. There are four of them in Isaiah, and this is the second one. And historically speaking, we've seen these, these songs uh, that Isaiah sings. Uh, historically, we've seen them as uh, Isaiah was talking about Israel. He was talking about the nation of Israel. So the whole nation of Israel is the servant of God. But as time moved on, and Jesus came and did his thing, and then the early church started. The early church started reading these words and started, started, seeing, started seeing Jesus in them. So they started to understand that, that these words weren't just about the nation of Israel, but Jesus sort of embodied these words and lived out these words uh, in his own life. And then as time moved on, because they were followers of Jesus and they began to see themselves as representatives of Jesus in the world, the early church began to see these words in Isaiah as about themselves, too. Like, they, too, could live out and embody these words. And so today, we sort of read these words and we're like, oh my goodness, what was true about Israel was also true about Jesus, was also true about the early church, and now these words can also be true about us. And I find that amazing. Like, these words written by guy that we hardly know anything about, that these words written by a guy who lived halfway around the world, that these words written by a guy uh, who spoke a different language, some 27-ish hundred years ago, I find it amazing that we can read these words today and go, yeah, these words are about us too. We can live into these words. In other words, this isn't just Israel's song. This isn't just Jesus's song. This is your song and my song too. And it talks about the nature of what it means to be, a, to be connected to the divine and to be a servant of the divine in the world. So what does it look like to be a servant of the divine? That kind of seems like a good idea for us to think about those things, right? So first, the nature of God's servant. The nature of God's servant is that servants of God are, are called and formed by God for a purpose. Think about that. Verse 1, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he's made mention of my name. The servant is called. Before I was born, the divine called me. Verse 2, made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. The servant is called and now formed for a purpose. Called and formed. This wasn't something that God just sort of did out of the blue. Like this was a creative, intentional, generative act of God. This was on purpose. Called, formed from the womb even before the womb. 
Think about that. And whenever I think about this idea of being called and formed in the womb, even before the womb, it gets me thinking about gets me thinking about my own birth and the story of my own birth and the story that my parents tell about my own birth because the circumstances of my own birth weren't, weren't uh, favorable for survival. Um, at least not, the, not in the way that it turned out. So the way it went was I, I was born breech. Um, and for those of you who don't know what breech means, instead of leading with my head out of the birth canal, I led with my butt. Now, I don't know what that says about me today. Like, I don't, maybe I don't lead with my head and my heart. I lead with my butt, right? That's kind of me. I'm cool with that, uh, right? But I was a special sort of a breech baby. Um, the way it went was my, my arms were locked behind my head, both of them, kind of like this, like I was chilling, you know, just hanging out. But my my feet were locked up in between the space between my arms and my shoulders. And uh, so my feet were kind of locked in there like that. And that made me too big to fit through the birth canal, right? And so the doctor was struggling to, to help my mother give, give birth, a really hard struggle. Couldn't, couldn't get me out. And by, by then it was too late to do anything else. I had to come out that way. Um, and as my parents tell the story, um, the, the doctor who, who helped deliver me, uh, who was an atheist, by the way, was struggling to, to get me out and finally put it, threw his hands up in the air and, and said, Lord, help me. And then one last tug on my leg, freed my leg, broke my collarbone, and my body was blue because I was struggling for air and I came out and I was alive. And later on, the doctor said that normally when, when babies are born this way, uh, they, they don't come through without some sort of, some sort of impairment. And, and yet, here I am. And so I think about that story, and whenever I think about my own birth story, I, I, I start thinking, what, wow, like, maybe there's a purpose for me here. Like, maybe there's a reason why I'm here. Maybe... Maybe God has something for me to be, something to do. So it's sort of, it's in a weird way heightened my sense of calling, like God's got something for me to do. Now you think about your own life, and the circumstances of your own birth don't have to be, you don't have to have a story like that uh, for, for this idea to become really personal for you, for any of us. For any human being walking on the planet, really, just the fact that, that you were born at all, just the fact that you are here, just the fact that you have a heart that beats and lungs that breathe and a brain that works and a body, just the fact that you are here is just a miracle in and of itself. According to Annie Dillard, there are 8.4 million different mixes of our parents' chromosomes and each one of us is one of those mixes. So the chances of any single one of us being born today exactly the way we are are one in 8.4 million. Think about that. Think about that. And then if you add in all the other circumstances, 
outside circumstances that had to take place in order for you to be born exactly the way you are, exactly who you are, it may, those chances are absolutely crazy. Dr. Ali Benazir answers the question this way, what's the probability of you being born exactly the way you are? What is the probability of that? Answers it like this. It's the probability of 2.5 million people getting together in some city all at the same time and playing a game with a trillion-sided dice. A, a trillion-sided dice. All 2.5 million people roll the dice at the same time and they all come up the exact same number. Say 550,343,279,001. Imagine that. Those are the chances that you were born exact. All of those things had to come up right for you to be born exactly the way you are, who you are, where you are, when you are. And he says, a miracle is an event so unlikely as to be almost impossible. Just proven that you are a miracle, he says. I love that. The scriptures tell us that we were made to order by the creator of the universe. The simple fact that we are just walking around, we have life, ought to sort of astound us right out of our chairs and onto the floor in worship. Right? But then add on top of that that God not only forms us, but calls us calls us, wants us to work with God, that should baffle our brains right there. Right? The scriptures tell us you're not an accident. Like this didn't just happen. Right? This has been in the works for a very long time. Your birth, my birth, your life, my life, an intentional creative act of the divine. Your life has a purpose to work with the divine, called, formed. This isn't just about the nation of Israel, not just about Jesus. This is about you and me, maybe even us together, called, formed for a purpose. And you know, I think, I think this is something that we human beings know intrinsically. I, I think we know it in our bones. Whether someone has a relationship with, the, with what we call God, the divine, or not, I think this is just something we know. It's in us. Because right? we're always asking the questions, we're always asking questions that start with the word why. Why? We want to know why. All the time. We want to know the purpose behind things. We want to know the purpose for the existence of things. We have three boys, so we know what it's like to have, to have little children. And it starts when they're two or three years old. Right? They, they start asking the word why. That's about when the why years start, right? They ask why all the time. Hey, don't throw your food on the floor. Why? Don't hit your brother. Why? And once we enter into the, like those, those conversations when they're, when they're that little, those conversations play themselves out in a thousand different ways every single day. No, don't touch the stove. 
Why? 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 And once we enter the why years, we never exit them. We are now caught up in this thing that will never end. We constantly ask why. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why is there suffering in the world? If God isn't the architect of suffering, why in the world does God let suffering happen? Why, why, why? And the biggest one of all, why are we here? Why am I here? Why are you here? Why? We ask why. There's something deep down, hidden, I don't know. There's something about being a human being that makes us ask why. We want to know why. We want to know the purpose, the reason for existence. There's got to be a greater purpose, right? Why? And Isaiah says, yeah, there is a reason. There is a purpose. You've been called and formed to be a servant of the divine, to be a servant of the creator of the universe. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Before you were born, the Lord called you formed you, made you, created you, called you for something, to be a servant. Of course, once we realize or we think about a servant of the divine, well, that means that we've got work to do. Because that's the nature of being, that's the nature of, of, of a servant, right? Servants do stuff. They work, right? So what kind of work is it? Well, if we, if we sort of enter into these words from Isaiah, we get certain themes that come out. There's this theme of, of restoration. There's this theme of reconciliation and inclusion of the Gentiles. Right? Crossing barriers in order to welcome. We get those. If we reach back to another servant song in, in Isaiah chapter 42, get these ideas of, of we were created to serve God for God's justice, right? God's mishpat is the Hebrew word. And that, that word simply means that, that everything is the way it needs to be so that people can have what they need to live happy, flourishing lives, contributing to the lives of, of others. And We've been created, the kind of work we've been created to do is to, help, is to help get God's teaching into the world. His Torah is the word in Hebrew. So God's ways of being in the world are to be our ways, and we're to model those ways in the world. Right? So whoever we are, whatever we do, wherever we are, those are the kinds of things that will define the work that we do. Restoration, uh, reconciliation, welcoming, creating spaces for justice where everybody has what they need to live flourishing lives. So all of that is going to look different for each of us because we're all different people, called and formed in unique and different ways. So what does that look like for you in your life, at work, at home, at school? So it looks different for all of us, but one thing we do know is it's going to be hard. Here's that theme again. It's going to be hard. Listen to what, what the servant says, what Isaiah says. I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain for nothing. 
sees himself as someone who's despised and abhorred. What a weird word, by the way, abhorred. This is not going to be easy. The servant himself feels and sees himself as someone who will be, who will be despised, who will be met with resistance. So the nature of our work involves a willingness to suffer. And I think this is part of what Jesus meant when, he, when, when people wanted to follow after him. He's like, you better count the cost. You have to deny yourself first. Take up your cross and follow me. So it's not easy. It's hard. So in John chapter 1, there's this awkward, weird little story about Jesus calling a couple of disciples to follow him. So Andrew, as the story goes, he's kind of hanging out with this guy we know of as John the Baptist. And they see Jesus in the distance. And John is like, hey, behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew's like, that's interesting and weird. I want to know more about that. So he walks over to Jesus, the two of them together, and he, he looks at Jesus and he says, hey, where are you staying? Which is an interesting way to introduce yourself to somebody. Hey, where are you staying? It's like, stock much? What's happening here? And Jesus says, okay, come and see. So he does. Andrew comes and he spends a whole day with Jesus. And after doing so, he gets so excited, he runs back home and he grabs his brother Simon. He's like, you got to spend some time with this guy. And so he brings Simon along, introduces him to Jesus. And Jesus says, you are Simon, son of John. But from now on, your name is going to be Peter. Your name is going to be the rock. So Jesus is calling Andrew and Simon to follow him, to sort of help them understand what it looks like to be a servant of God, living life in this world. And before anything else, he says to Simon, no, you, you're going to you're gonna have to change your name. It's no longer Simon. It's, it's the rock. Right? Because if, if, if you're going to follow me, you've got to know what you're getting into. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to leave your old life as Simon behind, and you're going to have to live into this new life as the rock because you're going to have to be hard as a rock, tough as nails in order to follow me. If you think following me is going to be easy, it's not. You're absolutely wrong. Because being a servant of God is hard work. It's hard work for all of us. Right? So you were called and formed. The nature of your work as a servant of God is, is to work for things like reconciliation and restoration and the welcoming of people who are on the outside, a light to the Gentiles. It will be about justice, creating environments where everybody has what they need to, to live full, happy, healthy lives where we contribute to one another's lives, but it's going to be met with resistance. It's going to be hard. So have fun. It's kind of depressing when you read it, but I've got some more things to say. One more thing. We're called to serve. Work is hard, but we won't fail. How's that? We won't, we won't fail. We won't fail because God won't fail. Right? Kings will see and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because, the, because of the Lord who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. We won't fail. Can't fail. So the, the apparent largeness of the assignment and the apparent inadequacies of the servant, right? Don't prevent God from getting done what God wants to get done in us and through us, period. 
There'll be setbacks. There'll be shortfalls. There will be suffering. But we won't fail. And that gives me hope. Because I think today, it just seems hard to be a Jesus person in the world today. And we've talked about stuff like this before. Because like the things that have have sort of defined the church in recent years have been, have been sort of hard to watch. Like grasping after power, trying to force other people to, to live life the way we think they ought uh, to live. This, this sort of idea that we have to maintain the purity of what we think and what we believe and especially how we behave. And so we build walls to keep people who disagree with us out and there's this overall spirit of fear that sort of drives everything that the, the church or the majority of the church thinks. And there's the spirit of fear that drives actions. And there's this sense of, and now this the rise of Christian nationalism. And we're all looking at this. And a lot of people are like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Because a lot of what's defined the church seems to be disconnected from, from Jesus. And so we have people doing this thing called deconstructing their, their faith. Maybe you've been through that. Maybe you're going through that right now. And, and that's not a dangerous thing or a scary thing. People will want you to think that that's a scary thing, but that's sort of just taking that which has nothing to do with Jesus. Taking that which has nothing to do with the ways of Jesus and just saying, I don't need that anymore. I think we can leave that one behind. Sounds like a good, healthy, beautiful thing, right? But sometimes it's, it's easy to get depressed. And we see polls and research done by Barna and Pew, and we see how all kinds of people are leaving the church, and it's shrinking and getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and we're losing the battle. And it's easy for us to sort of get, get depressed and go, why are we doing this anymore? You know, I've said this before. I've had, I've had times where I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. It's frustrating. It's easy to get depressed. It's easy to go. But I still have hope. I really do. I have hope. I believe in what God is doing. God doesn't fail. And if we're paying attention and remaining connected to the divine, we won't fail either. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it through this. We know the ending, right? We know the ending. And we're not going to fail, not because we've tried really hard, not because we have some sort of superhuman strength, you know, it's not, not because of any of that. We're just regular people. I hate to say it, but there's nothing special about us. Let's just have at least that level of humility. Other than we're called and formed for right now. In this place. With these people. And we will not fail. Not because we're superhuman or awesome but because of the Lord 
is faithful because the Lord has called and formed and chosen you, me, us. So I've thrown a lot at you. There's lots of different ideas I just gave you, and I haven't given you any answers whatsoever. So you're welcome. Um, but the more I do this, the more I, I realize that I don't know if it's my job to give you answers. Um, and I try not to. Sometimes I give you some things that sound like answers. But I think more and more I, I begin to realize that, that this time that we spend together is designed to sort of pull us into a, a different reality or maybe a deeper reality. Uh, a reality that we might not pay attention to on a, on a regular every day to day basis, but it's, it's this deeper reality that Jesus called the kingdom of God. And so I hope that there's been some questions that have been raised in your mind, and now, that you, now, now you're challenged to just sort of think about them. Right? You've been formed, by a pur- formed and called by God for a purpose. What purpose? What's your unique calling? You have one kind of work does God have in mind for you in all of the places, in all of your circles? What kind of work? What about your family? What about us? How will we get that done? How will we react when we suffer? I can't tell you the answers to any of those things. Um, It's just for you to think about. And that's all I have to say. Let's pray.